Welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. Lisa Anderson here with you, and happy third week of February. Very grateful to be with you. Um, let me give you a little preview of what is coming up on the show. Later on for our inbox, we have a 25-year-old listener who is just going through a tough time, feeling like life is just kind of aimless right now, like where are they in life, where are they going? So fortunately, one of our counselors is going to give some hope and some encouragement and maybe a little bit of direction. And then for our culture segment, Bailey Hurley is a friendship coach, all about connecting people to meaningful relationships. And we're going to interview her about how you can find great friends, be one yourself, what all that looks like, a really fun, fun conversation. Speaking of fun conversations, uh, for our roundtable now, we are continuing what we started last week with the guys on friends who inspire you and friends that you have fun with. And we're letting the ladies take their turn this week. And so I have Georgia, Megan, and Diane here. Ladies. Hello. Hey, thanks for Great to us. have you. Okay. I know there's a little bit of pressure because we were talking about how the guys did such a great job last week and talking <laughs> about their friendships. And so, you know, we're just going to see how you do. I mean, I'm, I'm just saying, you got to kind of, you no know, got to show up. Yeah. No <laughs> pressure. Um, so, but it is a great conversation. I say often that here at Boundless, one of the most oft asked questions is how do I find friends? How do I make friends? How do I go deeper in friendship? All of those like leveling kind of things because people just feel disconnected. And so I hope that you ladies have some great insight for folks. So, first off, because we're kind of talking about we sometimes compartmentalize and think you have fun friends and then you have your inspiring or more growth, serious friends. But how, where would you guys see yourselves on the friendship continuum? Like, what do you excel at? Um, where do you feel like most of your friends fall? What does that look like for you? For me, um, I think I definitely fall more in the kind of fun friend zone. Not so much in the superficial way, but I think as a person, I'm just not super deep-minded. I don't often think on the way I'm feeling or what I'm struggling with. That's just not my natural inclination. I'm more thinking about what books am I enjoying? What activities can I do? So I think that just presents itself in my friendships where I just really enjoy having a good time with friends and making fun moments. Um, but I also try and be intentional to be available when those conversations come up and the few times that those conversations that are deeper come up for me that I'm able to find friends who are safe and I'm able to communicate that. It's just not, it just doesn't come up as often for me. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I would say I don't really have friends that are in separate boxes and I don't like to think that I'm one or the other, I guess, kind of to Megan's point, I think it's that I'm just open to whatever the conversation or the time or you know, whatever's happening with my friends, I'm just open to wherever that leads us. And if that's, you know, we're having fun, we're randomly going somewhere and doing something fun, that's that's great. But then I'm also open to we're having a hard time, someone's going through a breakup or someone's talking about marriage, you know, being open to those conversations. I don't really think it's one or the other because mm -hmm. I feel like that feels transactional to me mm -hmm. that you have a group of friends that's just for fun, but you don't go any deeper. And then you mm -hmm. have your just your deep friends where you're like, I need to be inspired. <laughs> and, you know, I <laughs> feel like. call them. Yeah, I'm going to call yeah. them. I, I think you can't have just two different things. I think you need to be finding friends that kind of fit both, that you feel safe enough to do both. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's good. And I just piggybacking on that, I think that sometimes people categorize 
me personally, or they may categorize you as something. So even though you may not categorize, they may have you in a category. Um, oh, let's call Diane. She's always fun at a party. You know, she, she'll bring in the life. Oh, look at she's here. Um, but it's <laughs> a lot of pressure. That is a lot of pressure, but I, I excel at it. Mm-hmm. She's um, great. <laughs> but I also think that there are friends who want to also be inspired through the laughter. And so it's like, what am I to them rather than me looking towards others for my laughter or for inspiration? What am I to them? And hopefully you're choosing people that it is a back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some people that do categorize each of us into, and then that's all they expect from us. Mm-hmm. That's good. Okay, so I did ask the guys this last week, and I didn't give them any preparation for it. So to be fair, I'm going to give you this question as well and have you answer it. And Diane, you kind of provided a springboard for this. What would you say in friendship is your friendship superpower? So what you bring to the table most often in a friendship that people really appreciate about you, like the way that you show up? I, you know, you can only hope that what you are bringing is what the other person is seeing. Mm -hmm. And what I hope that I'm bringing is both inspiration and fun. Mm -hmm. And I hope that that's what they see from me because I am lighthearted, but I also know when it's time to dig deeper, but also to know where the boundaries are, where this is time to stop. So I think we have to know ourselves well enough to know what am I bringing to the table. So I would say I hopefully I'm bringing inspiration, fun, but also trust mm-hmm. that they know that I am going to be a good friend that's confident, and but also I am your confidant, mm-hmm. that what you have to say to me goes no further than me. Mm-hmm. Then they know they can come back and share more. I feel like I'm cautious to say anything too strongly because I don't want it to come off like, oh, I'm so good at one thing or the other. But looking back on my friendships, realistically, I would say one thing that I would hope my friends appreciate about our friendship is my ability to be honest about things they're sharing with me, whether they're telling me situations they're struggling with, relationships they're having questions about. I have found that over years of practice, I've reached a point of being able to pretty easily say an opinion that might be contradictory to theirs kindly or say, I actually don't know if I would recommend that. You have to decide that for yourself, but this is how I would view it. Um, And that's come up quite a bit more as I've gotten older, all my friends have graduated, we're all in different places in life. So I've had to do that quite a bit in the past year or two. And it gets easier every time, but my friends have always come back and been like, thank you for being a place I know who you're going to give me biblical advice. And if Mm -hmm. I do something that might be sus in your point of view, I know you're going to tell me. And I think I really value that. It's good. I am, I guess, lucky in the sense that I had a birthday recently. So in having a birthday, (laughs) people write you notes. (laughs) So rather than grade myself on what kind of friend I think I am, I do think that a big common theme I noticed in my notes from my friends, I'm so popular. (laughs) Um, I'm kidding. That's your superpower? Uh, Yeah. Yeah, No, I'm kidding. But I do think a lot of people wrote that I was loyal, and I do think that that is something that I feel like I can attest to is that I'm very intentional with my friends and I stand by my friends and I feel like I'm very supportive. And And I think that can look like, kind of to Diane's point, it can look like being fun and creating in joyful like atmospheres, but it can also be being that friend who's intentional and loyal when a friend is going through a difficult situation. Mm-hmm. That is good. 
Yeah, I think if I were to think of it on the both uh, a fun and a inspirational slash challenging thing came to mind. First of all, I often provide entertainment in friend circles in being the storyteller and being the person who's mm-hmm. going to have some kind of parallel of like remembering something that someone did and drawing that out of them or whatever. But then I also am a pretty good question asker. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why I host a podcast. <laughs> um, but I just love to draw through questions, mm-hmm. draw stuff out of people, get their stories, find out really what they think about things. And then I'm not afraid. People think I'm a lot more direct than I actually am. I don't like to just level people. But if I need to be, <laughs> I can definitely like go there. And I feel like a lot of, you know, in the negative flip side of that, it turns out where it's like all my other friends are like, don't worry, we don't need to address that with so-and-so because Lisa will eventually, you know, so that's a downside of it, which I don't like that role, but I also can't just let things hang out there or let things stand, you know, that are inappropriate or hurtful to someone or whatever. So there you have it. So, um, okay. So what, what would you say, this is just kind of a fun question, are there specific ways that girls like to have fun, you think, that wouldn't necessarily appeal to guys? Like things that we do uniquely that maybe breed um, relationship, conversation, whatever? I don't think having their nails done would <laughs> probably qualify. surprise, That's true. You'd maybe a buffer, a little buffing around the edges. Get those toenails cleaned up, would you boys? Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I think girls really center around being at home more or in an environment where there's food and not going out to go get that food. I mean, you do, but the real fun really takes place at someone's house Mm -hmm. where everybody's bringing something and there's a relaxed atmosphere around food. And it feels like it's not the TV with the football going on. It's more that conversation. Yeah, that's good. That's what I was going to say, kind of along the same lines from what I've noticed with guy friends that I've seen or the friends I see my husband has or things like that is it feels a lot less prevalent or natural for guys to just like hang out and not really have a plan with it mm-hmm. like girls can or just say oh doing. Yeah. yeah so like my husband will play video games with his friends and then they don't necessarily have to do life updates the whole time like <laughs> girls do <laughs> but they're just like having a good time there's no pressure we're just chilling um but i feel like girls just really thrive on like just the getting of the girls together like mm-hmm. that alone mm-hmm. is like really powerful to mm-hmm. just have that space and like place where you feel seen and safe and like you're like you can talk to your girls about things if they come up and it does tend I think to be more chatty which I'm not of that person I'm not a chatty person but I feel like generally speaking those girl get-togethers tend to be more like catch up on your life let's get coffee and chat and you know um which guys don't generally tend to do that as often I've noticed yeah I mean you guys just took the words right out of my mouth. <laughs> but I, I do want to say on the on the tone of the ladies who are going to listen to that and be like, I don't really like to sit and chat. I'm like, yes, you do. Because if you go rock climbing, you're chatting in the corner about how funny this is and how silly you look in the little thingies and la, 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 la. Like, there's just, that's just a part of who we are. And I think it's cool and fun. So, yeah, I mean, I think any activity you do, the highlight of it, is the, is the talking, the catching up, the laughter, that kind of thing. I don't think we need to sit and, you know, do a certain thing because then it's just kind of boring. Like if there's no chatter in between, 
then it's just kind of lame. And I don't think it has to be big groups as well. And I think that's, if you're an introvert, you'd like that Mm one-on-one time. So it's like a a pile of girls sometimes is more like, oh, no, (laughs) there's a pile of women in here. Um, But if it's a smaller group, I think some people are more comfortable, able to, and I think you have to judge that for yourself too. Mm -hmm. So on the flip side of that, and Megan kind of started this conversation in her superpower of being able to occasionally say the hard thing if she's invited to share. What do you do? I think women are often stereotyped as being unable to go to a hard place in the sense of, you know, oh, well, I want my girlfriends, you know, to be supportive and to be kind and to be like borderline enabling (laughs) rather than to tell me what I don't want to hear. And if you don't think that's true, go to every current pop album that is Mm -hmm. out there because that is exactly the mantra that you're going to hear from that. So how do we do that differently in a Christian culture where we are willing to break that and say, something hard has to be said, I'm going to have to go there. And sometimes it brings a friendship to another level. You know, Mm -hmm. I think it can be very good, but how to be that person, you know, that has to do it, what does that look like for you? I think sometimes it'll separate your friends out mm-hmm. because you may be that person. I mean, I am that person too. I, I wouldn't say I plow people over, but I will tell you what I think about a situation just based on experience and time and God's word. But those funds that those friends that don't want to come back because they don't want to hear it, won't come back. Mm -hmm. And that's probably a good thing, because if you can't be honest and open uh, and loving towards one another, and they don't want that, because I've had people say, you know, I don't don't want this friendship. And it's like, okay, because Mm -hmm. it's not really a friendship Mm -hmm. if you can't be working together, moving in the same direction towards the Lord. Mm -hmm. I do think a big part of that is asking what kind of response they want. If a friend is is talking to you about something. I think my biggest thing, because this is how I am, like sometimes I like to vent and I don't, not that I don't want to hear anything, but sometimes I'm like, I just need to talk about this and I don't really need a response. Like I know what I need to do. I like to ask my friends that like, do you want me to respond? Do you want me to give advice or do you just want me to listen? And then that helps, I think, create the avenue for responding. And I think I've had to do that recently. I have a friend who's really holding on tight to wanted to be married. And I'm like, aren't we all? Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I've no, just had to Not be... Megan and Diane. Yeah, 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 yeah because, they're they're good. They, because they are married. But Lisa and I, we understand. <laughs> we and are. so... We're in a support group. Uh, we, we're in a big support group. But all that to say, I've had to be honest with her. But every time I'm like, do you want me to be honest with you? Or do you want me to just sit and listen? Because I'm happy to sit and listen and tell you like, yes, it's it's horrible that these men are not you know, seeing how wonderful we all see you are. Mm-hmm. And every time she's be like, no, like, tell me what you're really thinking. And I'm like, I think you're making an idol out of marriage. <gasps> <laughs> <laughs> Covers mouth. But I'm like, you know, I think just it's, it's, it's important to make sure that you understand what that friend needs and wants. But I also think to Diane's point, there are times where you got to come to blows. Mm-hmm. And even if they say they don't want to hear it, they might need to hear it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I agree with all of that. And I think one thing that contributes to that that safe space being made between friends is really just like being intentional with your friends, having had a lot of time with those friends. Like I think the friends I'm closest with have been the ones that I've known the longest, like my college friends. They're the ones that we like lived life together in the same house for a year. Like we kept up when we all moved away and they're the ones who is most easy 
for me to speak into their lives about because we have that those years of trust built into it. Not to say you can't do this with newer friends. You definitely can. Um, but I think maybe just being aware of, of when you invest in friendships intentionally, especially when they are newer, it's going to continue to create a space that is safer and a space that you're able to feel just more comfortable approaching those conversations when they come up because you know them so much more intimately. You know the way they communicate, the way that they vent. You know all those details. Yeah. Okay, last question. I asked this one last week too. What does it look like for you to go after friendships, both fun and inspiring, with women of different generations. So going older than you, going younger than you. In fact, I said this last week, but those of you who are listening, these ladies didn't hear it. So I'm going to say it again. You have to listen to it twice. Um, it was my pastor's wife who said, in every, not in every situation, but at all times, you are an older woman and you're a younger woman. And so you have to look on both sides of you as to who you can influence and who you can be influenced by. And so I think we have to be careful to get that growth uh, from different avenues. So how have you learned from women outside of your own generation? I think that's something that I have tried to be a lot more intentional about the past maybe two years since I graduated, because college is such a bubble of great Christian community, but it's like all people in your same stage of life. And it's good for that time. But um, when my husband and I were looking for a new church, one thing that we kind of communicated is we wanted it to be more intergenerational because all of the churches in our college town were 80% college kids because there were just so many colleges in the town. Um, and so now, a year or two after that point, we're in like a pretty well-established compass group or community group, life group, whatever that may be. And we sought one that had couples of different age groups. It has some kids. It has some uh, some older couples. It has some couples that are our same, you know, age. And that has been so life-giving because now I'm able to look towards this woman at church almost as like a, a mom figure because my mom's on the other side of this country. And so to be able to talk to her about what I'm going through in that same level and feel like, okay, you have so many more years of wisdom and like studying scripture and going through experiences. And I just trust that point of view so much better. Um, but then we also have like their kids are also part of our life group. And so the other day, actually, Alex and I, Alex being my husband, Alex and I actually went and just hung out with the two kids while their parents were on a date. We didn't need to babysit them per se. They're like in high school, but they're like, do you just want to come and hang out with them? Like, we think that'd be nice for you. Um, and that was our first time doing it, but it felt really nice to feel like we were being more intentional with like younger people because mm -hmm. we don't work in like youth ministry right now, mm -hmm. but that's something I think we want to continue to try and do more of. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, I got close with my pastor's wife um, this last year, and I think that was just really beneficial because as much as I talk to my mom and my sisters, who are all older than me, um, I think it's nice to be able to find people where you're at, and my pastor's wife was a really big part of that. And it was really beneficial just to be able to, one, be her friend, because I think that's the joy of growing up, is that it's not just this I hate to use the word transactional again, but it's not just this transactional thing where it's like, I'm just going to you because you're older and wiser and I want you to tell me stuff. Like these women are women and they are friendly and they are funny. And it's just nice to be able to find people who have different experiences and who are diverse in that way. Diverse meaning they're older than you. They've experienced times that you have not. And so I think it was one, great to become her friend, but then also really great to be able to just be open and honest with her with what I was going through and she walked me through 
dating and and what that looked like to court. And so that was really helpful. And so, yeah, I think it's just beneficial to one, become friends with women who are older than you um, and not just see it as a mentorship opportunity, because I think that will come, but really just seeking it out because it's just great to be friends with people of all ages. Oh, totally agree. And I'm at the further end of all y'all. Um, and I do have friends that are even, that are older in their 80s, and I have friends that are 15. And married, not married, dating, uh, struggling. And I think that rounds out you as a person because you're learning from their experiences as they're saying, this is what I'm dealing with right now. And the problems are the same. The situations are different. And it's able to say, okay, I can relate to this or tell me more about that. Tell me what this really like right now for you. And so I love having a large friend group in age span because it does help mature me even more to mm -hmm. be able to hear their opinion on, on life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great insights, ladies. I love it. I mean, I think this was such a helpful conversation around the myriad aspects of friendship, including the struggles and what's just great about it and how we think outside the box when it comes to how we do friendship, how we show up, and who we open the circle to. I think that's great. Thanks. Did we Thank beat you. them in? Or? Yeah. <laughs> you totally did. Yeah, we totally won. I can yes. say that now. Yes. You know. <laughs> Folks, here we are for our culture segment. We've got another new friend to introduce to you today, Bailey Hurley. Uh, she is the author of a book that we're going to talk about today, but you know, topically, really where we're going to go is friendship. And so uh, the title of the book is Together is a Beautiful Place, Finding, Keeping, and Loving Our Friends, which is so awesome because I say sometimes here on The Boundless Show that one of the top requests that we get on the show and even at Boundless is how do I make friends? How do I keep friends? And how do I go deeper in friendship? So I think it's one of these things that you think you're supposed to know how to do, but then people are like, I don't know if I know how to do this. Or maybe I do, but of course, all the other people out there are terrible at it. So we need to train them up <laughs> for how to do this. So Bailey, welcome to The Boundless Show. Thank you so much. <laughs> well, it's super fun. We've been talking a little bit. She's kind of um, a localish person being from Denver. And so uh, she came on down to talk with us in person 
person today. So let's go ahead and uh, and jump right in, which I, I think it's fun even hearing your story kind of through the book of how you had to go after friendship yourself, quite frankly. Um, I will say that you are, this is your first book. So congrats yes, on that. Yes, it is. Thank that's, you. That's really fun. Um, you graduated from Denver Seminary. You mm-hmm. have an MA in leadership. So maybe a leadership book will be next. Um, <laughs> I'm sure there are elements of leadership even in this one. Um, but you're married with three kids. Yes. You just look like such a youngster. I kind of am a youngster. So, (laughs) yes. Well, we started our family very early, and it was a little bit of a surprise. Okay. But once it happened, I was like, let's just do it. And this is where we are. You know what? We'll get an early start and see Mm -hmm. how it goes. So that's good. Okay. Well, tell us a little bit about how, I mean, this whole concept of friendship coaching even, that sounds super awesome and sounds like something we all need. How did you actually get into that? What really sparked a passion for you wanting to help people find good friends. Yes, I think when you look back over the like narrative of mm-hmm. your life, it was through friendship that I even came to Christ. So I think mm-hmm. friendship has been a constant in my life, in my faith growth, and something I've just really tended to. And when it came to writing and while I was getting my master's, I started a blog and I was starting to write for some like nonfiction, like women magazines, things like that. And all of a sudden, I felt like, is this something that I could do? Could I take my expertise in friendship, community rhythms, um, helping women grow in in their own practices of community that they just haven't even tapped yet? Just mm-hmm. an unexplored, I think, potential that we all have. And mm-hmm. yet it takes so much. It takes work. It takes yeah. um, someone who has gone before you to help you identify how you can be a better friend. And so moving towards this book and then even moving towards a coaching role, it has kind of formed out of how the Lord has worked in my life, how friends have played a part in my journey. And then also, I think, just the joy I have. Like, what a fun topic to get to talk about friendship and then bring all your friends along with you um, to enjoy and um, I think celebrate like what God has done in my life. Yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. And I do want to say, and just taking a pause here, you know, guys who are listening, don't be discouraged because even though this is two chicks talking about friendship, (laughs) there's a lot, I think, that just across the board we can learn from, like you said, rhythm of relationship, community, what Mm -hmm. that looks like. I mean, just the fact that we all could grow in this area. Mm -hmm. And some things might be different, um, and you might even have some insight towards that now, you know, because you're married and Mm -hmm. maybe what your husband has to do to go after friendship is different than what you do. But let's talk about, because again, guys, this is going to apply to you. One thing that you say, Bailey, that I think is so helpful is, This idea of finding friends and kind of winnowing through the friendship pool, Mm -hmm. you actually describe it as like this can be trickier than online shopping and all the filters that you have to use, both in good – I mean, one, just the opportunities that are there. But two, we can probably get pretty consumeristic Mm -hmm. in our friendship search. So talk a little bit about – I love how you actually give, and I'd love for you to outline these (laughs) too. You say three tips that are helping us look for good friends. Mm -hmm. Like talk through that a little bit. Yeah. So I think when you're especially in your, I feel like the 20s, early 30s, there are a lot of like-minded people out there. Like mm-hmm. I truly believe when I moved to Denver, I yeah, was like college. 21, I'm just 22. like, if I could go back there. Yeah. yeah even college. <laughs> I wish I had some more parameters on what yeah. I was actually looking for in yeah. friends. And so I think it's very important, one, for you to identify 
what kind of friends you are looking for and not just you know, I want someone who likes to go to the gym and who also loves reading books like I do. I think those are some good things. But also, I think dig just a little bit deeper. Like I've noticed in the past, I really like friends who make me laugh or I like friends who reciprocate often, you know, someone I can text with regularly. So um, one really good practice is to kind of go back and think of like three great friends in different seasons of your life. And what was it about those friends that you really enjoyed and appreciated. And so I'll write down characteristics and then I'll circle things that are similar about these friends. And then I'll kind of say, okay, wow, I'm looking for someone who is a really good listener. I like people who read a lot, um, just different things like that. So it's kind of like a first, I think, way to filter what you're looking for and who to invest your time in. The second is ask yourself, what kind of friend am I? Mm -hmm. What do I want to be as a friend? And I think really taking a good long look at the type of qualities you represent, biblical qualities, as well as maybe some things like, um, you know, are you someone who is sarcastic to the point that you've hurt people's feelings in the past. So again, Mm -hmm. kind of, I think, identifying and being aware of the friend you currently are and maybe where you'd like to be and how can you kind of meet in the middle for that. Um, And then finally, it's just going out there and meeting a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And I think not feeling like when you've met someone that that's it. Like, you know, oh, if I have asked this person to hang out with me, then we're together forever. Like, I'm never going to get out of this friendship, even if I, in the end, it didn't really work out. I think be more brave to take the risk to say, no, I can spend time with these people and also have the security in in my faith and in who I am and what I'm doing to also let those friends fizzle out that weren't meant to be. Yeah. I think it's good that you give an example in the book of your friend Rachel, who I think you mentioned now moved away. Mm-hmm. And that that could be a big sadness for people. It's like, I invested all this time in this friend, or I thought there was so much potential here, mm-hmm. but then they move or whatever. Talk about that friendship with Rachel, yeah. why she proved to be a great friend, and are you able to still stay in touch on some level despite the distance. Yes, my friend Rachel, she was also in Denver when we first met and I really appreciated her intentionality. She didn't have kids. I had kids. She would come over and, and just ask to watch my children so I could go do things for me <laughs> as friend. well as like go and do the kid things with me, which is I always feel like such a labor of love for those of you who don't have kids to love on your friends who do. And after about eight months of really building a lot of good friend time, she said she was moving and I was devastated. And I feel like being in Denver, it's very transient. I think I'm used to friends coming and going. And I truly felt two options of, all right, another one gone. I'm just going to kind of back off and, you know, say, I'm I'm glad we had this time. Goodbye. (laughs) Um, But I really felt this nudge to say, actually, before you leave, could we invest even more time? Could we maybe up how many times we hang out a week? Because I really want to make the most of while you're here. And I'd like to continue being friends when you're gone. And so we have continued to make trips to see one another. Mm. Um, Her family, even just two summers ago, came and stayed a week in our basement. And it was a blast. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it it made me believe in commune living. I thought, you should just move in uh, (laughs) full time. She has um, some kids herself now. And so it's been beautiful. We use, you know, apps like Marco Polo to stay in touch. Mm -hmm. But it also has been fun to make the effort to have those in-person trips. Yeah, 
that's great. Mm-hmm. Let's talk a little bit about expectations in mm-hmm. friendship, because I think whether we go into a friendship or maybe along the lines of, you know, maybe growing in friendship, we feel like, oh, I want to move this needle or I want this to be something more or whatever. How do we have appropriate expectations and especially navigating the disappointment of maybe when something isn't reciprocated or someone just can't go or isn't willing to go where we want the friendship to go? How do you navigate that space and make sure that you're, you know, not investing only in the people who are going to mm-hmm. give back, but you're willing to say, I need those people, but you can also vary the experience? Yeah, I think, um, you know, Bonhoeffer in Live Together talks about how our expectations actually kills community. <laughs> um, and instead, I think really going in thinking this will be hard. I hope that's not a discouragement, but mm-hmm. I think uh, having more of a realistic understanding that that people are uh, difficult and we are going to let one another down. So I think having grace for those disappointments, but my biggest thing is communicating around it. So instead of just allowing your expectations to crumble a friendship, instead bring those to light and talk about them with your friend mm-hmm. and use it as an opportunity to define friendship for both of you because you both are going to bring in different friendship baggage and different ideas of what friendship looks like. And so you two might be trying to be good friends to one another and have very different different definitions for what a friend actually is. Mm. So I think when you are experiencing disappointments, go ahead and ask that friend like, hey, I would love to ask you, what is a friendship to you? Like, Mm. what is what do you think a good friend is? And allowing yourself to share as well and then say, you know, I think I see we have some similarities. And I also think we have some things that we don't agree on. You know, do you think we can meet in the middle on what our friendship could look like? Mm. And I think, again, when you are bringing these vulnerable conversations to light, having to trust God to say, if it doesn't align, you know, this kind of this disappointment, like what if this person is just like, I don't have the time for you Mm -hmm. that the way you're describing friendship, like I don't, I can't meet that of being able to bless and release these people because you trying to sit in this ambivalent space of like, are we friends? Are we not friends? Is actually more harmful than just releasing each other to go find the friends that meet your definition. Mm -hmm. And so I know you said, what do you do with people? You don't want to find people who can only give and Mm -hmm. meet you exactly where you are. Mm -hmm. And I think we have plenty of spaces for acquaintances that we do kind of, you know, see on the outskirts. But for those deep core friendships, because that's what we really want. We really want those meaningful connections. That's where you need to make sure your definitions at least have been put on the table. Maybe they're they perfectly match. Maybe they match in a lot of the important places. But also, yeah, being, I think, okay to say, oh, I I don't think that I can meet you where you are. And I want you to find that. And so maybe this is the end of our friendship story, but I like recognize that it was good where it was and I want you to go find what you're looking for. Okay. So to that point, you actually cite a study in the book that says that I think it's 60% of people tend to think that they are the givers in the friendship. They're giving disproportionately to Mm -hmm. what they get in response um, within a friendship. Is that a is that just all of us thinking that we're, you know, more awesome than we are? I mean, how, how realistic do you think that is? And what what would prompt people to think that they're so much better of a friend than mm-hmm. the people that are in their sphere? 
Yeah, that stat comes from Shasta Nelson. She's a great friendship writer as well. And it does make me giggle because I think I also sit at home thinking <laughs> I'm giving way more to all my friends than they're giving to me. I'm the best. Yeah, yeah, I'm the best. I do think it's a little bit of blindedness that we really think we've, we've figured it out yeah. instead of being more curious about why do I feel this way? You mm-hmm. know, I think it kind of goes back to those definitions a little. I think something I've been learning over time is we are all in all in flux, like our seasons of what we can give and what we kind of need goes up and down. Mm-hmm. And so I felt like these last have with my three kids, the last like five years, I have felt very needy in my friendships. Mm-hmm. I have felt like people have needed to step up to meet me where I am. And so the friendships were more 40-60, where they were kind of giving in places that I felt like I just like didn't have the capacity to give back to keep it that friendship um, to keep it going and maintaining it. And it's interesting now, I feel like I'm kind of coming out of this cloud, but I'm meeting my friends who are just starting to have children and now it's reversed. Like maybe I can give Mm 80-20 or maybe now it's 60-40. So I think just recognizing that it'll never be Mm 50-50. I don't know if we can ever truly meet where we both feel like this is perfectly reciprocated. We're both giving as much as we expect. Mm -hmm. But instead, I think really recognizing that the times that you are at the 60-40 and you're like, I'm giving so much, just remember there's probably going to be a time where it's reversed Mm -hmm. and where you're going to be needing more from that friend. And I think being able to appreciate the times when um, they give back to you Mm -hmm. and then recognize, I think, the gift you're giving when you are giving to someone else. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit about, because that is, I mean, that could even be the start of a hard conversation when you feel Mm -hmm. like there's something inequitable. And I know you're really big in the book on encouraging people to not be critical and not be, and just to be, there might be those seasons where you just have to be the giver, or there might Mm -hmm. be a certain relationship where you're more the giver and you're going to get more from another person who's maybe in a better spot or in a healthier spot or whatever. Um, But let's talk about those hard conversations in a friendship. So I always feel like this has been my experience is you have to, I just call it like the, whether it's the like conflict divide or the conflict hump or whatever, like to really make (laughs) it to that next level in friendship, at some Mm -hmm. point you're going to have to get past a conflict or a hard Mm -hmm. conversation. Otherwise, you're just doing coffee and pizza (laughs) dates with people. I mean, it's the same thing even in dating, you know? So so that whole idea of like, how do you broach whether it's a a conflict, a Mm -hmm. correction, or a rebuke for the first time? And how do you know that the friendship or, you know, you probably don't know that the friendship can sustain that. But how can you enter that kind of thing in confidence, knowing that the rewards could be good? Yeah, I think there's a few different things. But um, one, I don't know about others, but I am an internal processor. It's very helpful for me to kind of sit for at least a little bit. I like to write things down. But maybe if you just took a couple moments and thought through, hey, what are some of the things that I need to own before I come into this conversation What are some of the things I don't need to own coming into this conversation? Just because I made a mistake doesn't mean I'm a mistake. Mm -hmm. So I think being able to recognize what I've done wrong without um, personally taking it as this is who I am now. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then finally kind of using the wounds to help lead you to a place of connection, you know, where you might say, I'm really sorry for, for some expectations that I may have misplaced on, on you. 
And I want to be curious about how we can explore this more and also how could we use this moment to lead us back to, you know, reconciling, mm-hmm. connecting even deeper, understanding one another better. Mm-hmm. That's so funny. I just feel like anything, like you're just in a conversation, just say you want to be curious. I just yeah. think that's a great, hundred uh, <laughs> that's such a good word. I mean, so many people have started like putting that in their lexicon and kind of thinking through that because again, it, it keeps you from being critical. I mean, mm-hmm. I say even in this year now where we are entering nationally, an election, a lot of other things going on, friendships are going to take a hit when we start coming up against values that are different, you know, priorities that are Mm -hmm. different. And so just to say, I would love to know how you're coming to that conclusion or Mm -hmm. where you're, what's your background in this or what, I think it is so helpful to have that posture of Mm -hmm. learning and of being open to say, you know, I don't know it all. And I would love to learn from you and I'd love to love you in the midst of our differences Mm -hmm. too. I think that's so huge. Um, So to that point, Bailey, another thing I want to ask is, Mm -hmm. um, you you talk a little bit about this idea of making tight-knit friendships is great, and we, none of us can be friends with the entire world. Mm-hmm. I mean, some of us try. Um, <laughs> extroverts, you know, we hear you. Um, but you talk about the benefit of leaving the circle open mm-hmm. and of always being looking around and open, not only for the sake of what you might get from another friendship, mm-hmm. but also to be inclusive of people who just yeah. might need that friend and mm-hmm. might need you to welcome them into your group of friends or even into your own own space as a friend. What's an intentional way of going about that? Yeah, that's really a great question. Um, to kind of even, even expand on that idea, idea even more is that I think there is this lie, especially again, like I I mean, I had to kind of unpack it in my early 20s that once I made friends at a certain point in life, that was the end all be all. Mm -hmm. And I would never have to do it again. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. surprise, surprise, Mm -hmm. I did. And so I just feel like it's a good mindset to tell yourself I should always be a student of friendship. Mm. I should always be open to making new friends because my friendships will cycle and my friend groups will change and shift and allowing, I think, to release that almost instead of holding it so tight. No one can change. No one can move. No one can step outside of our friend group. We have to just be what we are and protect it fiercely. And I think instead just being like, oh, I can open up my hands and I can still have room for more people. Mm -hmm. And so I think an intentional way to do that is when you're in social settings, be open to new people who've come to town. Be open to maybe some new employees at your workplace. Um, Be open to new friends that that come to your Bible study because you just – you never know Mm -hmm. what kind of friendships could grow from that. Mm -hmm. I – feel like as a mom entering into mom circles that were kind of already set as the person on the outside like I am so thankful for the women who thought to themselves my circle is not complete I can invite one more in Mm -hmm. and have included me and brought me into their social circles like I'm so grateful for that Um, I think it's such a wound to not be included and so I just believe that giving the gift of of acceptance the way that God accepts us Mm -hmm. is one of the most beautiful acts of love that you could possibly do. And again, this doesn't mean you've tied yourself to this person for eternity. Yeah. Unless they're sister in Christ or brother in Christ, but um, you, you're not tying yourself to this person for forever. I, it's okay mm-hmm. to let someone in. Yeah. All right. And just in our last minute here that we have, because we did allude to the fact that you know you guys are listening and stuff. How do you 
Bailey, as being married. Mm -hmm. What do you see in your husband with the way he does friendship that might be different? Some things that you've learned from him Mm -hmm. and maybe just some things that he's uniquely had to go after. You know, if you're if you're married to like a friendship coach (laughs) slash expert, you could be like, I'm checking out. Forget it. I can't even measure up. But how does he uniquely do friendship? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. It's been so beautiful to see him step into his role as a host. I don't know if every person has that skill set, man or woman. But I definitely feel like there's a tendency to think like men aren't great at planning things or, um, you know, getting the guys together. I don't know if that's fully true, but I really feel like I've seen him step into his own of using men activities. That sounds so silly to say, but <laughs> they, the studies say that like, you know, men aren't really like across the table mm-hmm. conversationalists. They don't want to meet for coffee always to like mm-hmm. have a heart to heart. Like they're more shoulder to shoulder relating. And so they want to watch the game together. They want to go play golf together. They want to play video games together. And so anyway, I feel like I've really seen him step up and creating fun things for his friends of they do go and play top golf or they do um, a fantasy football league or they've like done things I think that have kept him specifically connected to his friends on a regular basis. And whenever I see him start to kind of slip into patterns of just like, oh, I'm too tired. I'm too busy. I should be doing this instead of really kind of pushing him to say, you need to call somebody Mm -hmm. and make plans. And so I think for anyone, you know, if you are a female with guy friends or you're a guy with female friends, and I don't know, you start to see someone who's just like, the excuses are piling up to kind of just kind of give them that extra push to say, hey, I think it's time that you make some, you know, space for connection. Like Mm -hmm. you need that too. Just because you're a guy doesn't mean that you don't need to connect with somebody else. Yeah, that's so good. And just the reminder that even in marriage, your husband needs people besides you. You're not going to be his every friend need mm-hmm. met, you know, in one person. And so whether you're single or married, go after that because that is such a great space to grow as a person, to, again, invite others in, to realize. And, and you know, if you're that single guy who's like, no, it's cool because when I get married, you know, then my <laughs> wife will just be my bestie. Okay, yeah. well, that might not happen. You know, uh-huh. she might not want to be your bestie. Yeah. And so you do need, you know, guys need guys and women need women. That's so. right. Well, Bailey, such a great, um, great series of thoughts and insights around friendship. Again, folks, I want to remind you, uh, the book is Together is a Beautiful Place, Finding, Keeping, and Loving Our Friends. We've been talking to Bailey Hurley. And this book we want to make available here at Boundless this week for a gift of any amount. So we're going to offer the book. Um, You can go to boundless.org, search for 838 this week's episode. You'll see the book cover on there. You just click on it. Give a gift to Boundless of any amount um, for the work that we're doing. I often say that. So many of you are great supporters of Boundless, and we do love that. And thank you so much for continuing in our work with us. Um, But you do that this week, and we'll send a copy of Bailey's book to you. So this is a great opportunity to maybe go through this even with some of your acquaintances and figure out how you can go a little bit deeper. So you can make that happen today. Well, Bailey, thanks again for joining us today and not only modeling friendship, um, but also just putting some great instructive words for us to glean from and be part of this journey together. Thank you so much.
right, folks, here we are for our inbox with another one of our counselors this week. We love our counselors. We have Joni DeBrito back. I can't remember how long ago it was when we had you on here before, but not too long ago. Not so too super, long ago. Right. super fun to have you back. And uh, wow, a broad question. Okay, this is like about 50% at least of our audience is going to sure. resonate with this. I'm actually 50 might be low. I'm yeah. going to say 75% at some point in our life, maybe <laughs> 95% have been in this spot at uh -huh. some point. Some are still here. So um, I'm going to read this question for you, Joni, and let you weigh in with some great advice. Okay, here we go. Great. Our listener says, I'm 25 and I feel like my life should have started by now, but I still don't even know what I want to do as a career. I've been trying to learn about a lot of different things, but I'm just aimlessly throwing things at the wall to see if anything sticks. How can I figure out what I want to do and how to someday make it profitable enough to provide for a family? Well, Lisa, I really like this question because unbeknownst to this listener, actually part of the answer is in the question. Mm. And I'll talk about that in a little bit. But the first thing I want to say is, so you're 25, your life actually has started. Mm -hmm. And that's something to celebrate. <laughs> and there are a lot of expectations out there about when people should be doing certain things. And I really want to emphasize that God made all of us very differently. Some people, as we know, are on a fast track. They're kind of on a fast track their whole lives. Some people are on a slower track. And neither one is better than the other. Both have strengths and weaknesses. Sometimes people get kind of pushed into a career at a young age, and by the age of 25, they're saying, I hate what I'm doing, and now I have to be retrained or go back to something else. And so they're struggling. And then other times there are people who are on a slower track, and that slower track actually helps them to be more thoughtful and more methodical. So what I would say is to think about some of the things that you have been doing uh, listening already and um, what made you go in that direction uh, to begin with. And then the next thing I would say is that it's really helpful to do some values clarification. So do you want to live to work or do you want to work to live? And when this person talks about a family in the future, so do you want to um, be able to provide an affluent lifestyle for your family, which means you may be working lots of long hours and not have as much time? Or would you have more value in a work-life balance where you can actually uh, do your job but also have a lot of time, quality time with your family? And do you think that you would rather be known and admired by your colleagues or beloved by your family members. That's Those are things for you to really think about and also to really think about what are my God-given gifts. God has given all of us gifts, and they're all different. And usually we are happiest when we are using those throughout our life in our personal lives, but also for sure in the kind of work that we're doing. So... Um, Think about the kind of activities, the hobbies, the life experiences that you've found that you're really excited about. And also, here's where that answer is in the question. People who spend their 20s doing a lot of different jobs to try to discover where they want to be often get to a more satisfied place because they've taken that time. And so I actually encourage what this listener is doing, which is trying a bunch of different things to see what might work for him or her. So uh, honestly, that's something that I did. I was on a, a very uh, slow track. And so I did not do all of my mental health training until I was in my later 20s and 30s because I started out in college 
at the age of 18. That's what we did in my family. And I realized after a year or two that I had no idea what I wanted to do. So I went out and worked. And by work, I mean, I really did work. It wasn't the kind of jobs that go away in a month. Mm -hmm. These were full-time salaried positions that had benefits and so forth. And I encourage people to do that because what happens is when you're doing that, you start to recognize the things you like, the things you don't like. Maybe you meet someone who has the dream job that you've always dreamed of, and you interview them, and you say, what do you like about this job? I'd love to do this. What would I need to do to get where you're going? And then the other thing that I would mention is that there are a lot of really good online questionnaires that have to do with helping you discover your spiritual gifts and your God-given gifts and talents, as well as your aptitudes. And I encourage people to find those that will help them figure out, here are my strengths, and then they can do some research on which careers tend to uh, work well with those particular gifts and talents and skills and so forth. And then again, you interview, you talk to people, you say, what do I need to do to get started here, etc. Um, and then at that point, the next thing to do is do a little bit of research about the um, long-term outlook for a certain career. We know that there are certain careers, for instance, that are being taken over by artificial intelligence. There are other careers that are kind of going by the wayside because modern technology has absorbed those, et cetera. And so you want to say, okay, if I go to the work of trying to develop this career, am I actually going to have something waiting for me when I'm done with that training? And you want to say, yes, I am. And you also want to look into the earning potential. Is this a job that's likely to grow in the future? Or is this a job where people are starting to leave and maybe the incomes are going down? That's really, really important. Now, here's what's great. You can have those God-given gifts and talents that don't necessarily end up as a career for you because maybe it is something that's being taken over by AI. But you can still do that as an avocation. So you have a job that pays the bills and supports your family and all that kind of thing. But maybe you're doing something else on the side that isn't really a job, but it still brings you joy. So I think what I want to encourage in this listener and other listeners who are in the same boat, as you said, we've probably all been there at some point, is to take a deep breath and just settle down a little bit and think, okay, I'm going to walk through this. And my last thing is pray. Pray every step of the way that God would lead you and God would show you. God would open up doors for you to have those opportunities to figure out what it is you want to do and how you can feel joy and success in your career. Yeah, great advice and really practical, Joni. Thanks for weighing in with that. You're welcome. All right, folks, uh, that's it for this week's show. A reminder, like I said last week, uh, that we now have our articles in audio form via Boundless, the audiobook over on YouTube. And so if you go over to YouTube, uh, you can find our channel at boundless.org, and you will see there a number of our articles that we have put to audio for those of you who love to listen to content instead of just reading it. So if you would give it a chance, we would appreciate it. Uh, when you find it and uh, you give a couple of them a listen, please like and subscribe and even comment uh, so we can kind of build that channel and let others know about it. And of course, find out what's really resonating with you. So plan on doing that. And I will see you around next week. I'm Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show.
The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org from Focus on the Family. It can be challenging to inspire your community to see life the way God sees it. So what's the solution? Well, on June 15th, Focus on the Family is hosting Sea Life 24. And no matter where you are or who you are, you can be a part of this free event with speakers like Ben and Kirsten Watson and real stories about choosing life. Sea Life 24 will inspire you to translate your faith into action. Register today at sealife24.org.